coming up on crossing the lane lines. Over the last 116 years, only two black men had made the Olympic roster in water polo, or 1.27%. On the women's side, it's not much better. In the last 16 years, only one black woman has made the Olympic roster, which comes to about 2.4%. Today, we'll be joined by two guests, former men's national team member and 2007 Pan American gold medal winner, Janai Kerr, and current women's national team member and current Olympic gold medalist, Ashley Johnson, about how they are determined and succeeding in changing the look of men's and women's water polo. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najia Lee, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. At the Olympic Games in Rio in 2016, Simone Manuel won an Olympic gold medal in the 100-yard freestyle and became the first black female swimmer on Team USA to win an Olympic gold medal in swimming. She was glad to be an inspiration to others, she told reporters. But at the same time, she added, I would like there to be a day where there are more of us and it's not Simone, the black swimmer. The title black swimmer makes it seem like I'm not supposed to be able to win a gold medal or I'm not supposed to be able to break records. Our guest today can relate to Simone. He was one of the first African-American men to play on the U.S. National Water Polo Team. Janai Kerr was a member of the United States Men's National Water Polo Team for 12 years and played in the 2004 Athens Olympics, the 2003 and 2007 Pan American Gold Medal Games, and multiple world championships. He is one of the only athletes in history to compete internationally as a goalie and as a field player. Most recently, he was named MVP at the 2012 U.S. Open after he helped Newport Water Polo Foundation win the national championship. He has coached at every level from age group to Division I college programs. And over the last 15 years, he has run hundreds of camps with Nike 5-meter water polo camps. Janai Kerr, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Janai. Janai, I always ask this question first because it's a great way to start the conversation, but your situation seems a little more unique than others. Can you take us back to how you first got involved in swimming, then later how you got involved in water polo by accident? I first became familiar and fell in love with with the water, specifically the ocean, since childhood. Um, My father's a spear fisherman from Jamaica, so at the time we were actually living on a boat in the Caribbean between Belize and Jamaica my young, young years. And so every daily basis, I would be in the water splashing around with my parents. And I got so comfortable that my parents would tell me stories of me not panicking when I would crawl off the boat and then splash into the water and just look up smiling, waiting for one one of them to dive in and save me. I also have another story of me being pushed in to the water while still strapped into the stroller off the dock. And once again, not panicking, just looking up, waiting for my parents to save me. So that's where I really became familiar with the water and fell in love with the ocean itself. Um, when we moved to Southern California, I fell in love with the bigger waves. I wanted to be a, become a professional bodyboarder, but I'd never done anything competitive or spent much time in the pool until halfway through my high school years when I was playing a variety of land sports, just like most other kids. Baseball, basketball, football, I ran on the high school track team, uh, did a variety of different things. And one day I heard 
whistles at a different high school and followed the whistles to the gym, expecting to see a basketball game going on. So I was confused when it was empty. I followed the whistles out to the back of the pool and saw a really cool-looking sport being played, but had no idea what it was called. I just liked the fact that they were throwing a ball and shooting goals and everybody seemed to be having a good time. But had I known that they couldn't touch the ground for the entire time, that the rules were extremely subjective and that they're wearing Speedos and Turbos, then I probably would not have been so excited to give it a shot. But fortunately, I didn't know any of those things, so I tried out the next day with two of my buddies from the basketball team. And I don't want to say the rest is history, but it was just I would say that was the start of a very long and ongoing passionate relationship that I have with the sport of water polo and aquatics in general. For a lot of elite black swimmers, it seems like it can be a quite lonely place. Not a lot of kids, coaches, officials, or parents look like them on the deck. Was that your experience as well? It was. Um, I don't. I might have a slightly unique perspective on, you know, being the only black athlete for a majority of my career, um, especially when I was getting started, because of my perspective on being a black person I think was a lot different with having my father as a really proud Jamaican being one of my greatest role models growing up Um, you know coming from Jamaica where this model really is out of many one you have people of all different shades and (laughs) shades and colors you know all speaking Patois growing up together so when he was one of the few if not the only black person in Manhattan Beach in the 70s when I was growing up they, he always had a sense of pride and, and belonging. And I think that kind of carried over for me into aquatics. And I didn't really think about it much. Um, as we progress through this interview, we'll talk about some other experiences I've had. But I think I've had mostly positive um, interactions within the sport of water polo. And a few times that it's been negative, I've had the support of my family. And we'll talk about my um, my my biggest role model in the sport, Dr. Omar Amr, um, of just knowing that support was always there and carrying me through. So yes, it could have been lonely, but I was somewhat oblivious to it. Um, and I know that I may have enjoyed it, but I also more, but I also may not have had the, had the drive to really prove myself as much. So it's kind of a, a give and take. And I, in the future though, if I, for people then to not necessarily have the support, you know, from their family and friends and community that I had, um, it would be nice to see more people that look like us on the deck and in the water, um, just to kind of create that environment and community as we move into this, you know, into this next next generation of um, of superior black aquatic athletes. You just mentioned Omar Adar, your fellow teammate on the U.S. national water polo team. Can you describe his influence on you? Yes. Um, Omar Armour, before he was a doctor at the time, was playing at UC Irvine. And this was the end of my high school years. Um, I was a senior in high school. had really only played one full season of water polo uh, under the Randy Burgess at Coronado High School. And fell in love with the competition and how competitive it was and I think just how unique the sport was but I was a lot better still at basketball so most of my college recruiting opportunities were coming from basketball and 
I tried out for junior national team, got cut, but still stuck around in practices and saw some high-level water polo. And one individual I saw one of the collegiate games was Omar and realized that there were actually were black people playing at the next level. So he kind of inspired me. And when I got to go on the recruiting ship and hang out with him for three days, it was almost borderline my determining factor of why I chose water polo over basketball. Um, we had a legendary coach at UCLA named Ted Newland, who was known for developing athletes. So I felt confident with the ability to be in a, in a system that was going to help me improve. And without Omar knowing it, I proclaimed him as my best friend. And sure enough, I um, went back to, you know, finish my high school season or my high school year, senior year, went to Jamaica for the summer for two months, got, got a player, Sean Paul, during that time, by the way. And then showed up at the end of summer at his doorstep and said, hey, I'm moving in with you before season starts. And, you know, this was in the 90s before cell phones or email or any of that good stuff. And sure enough, he let me, he let me crash at his house. Um, we started to bond even before the season started, and we've been best friends and like brothers ever since. And, you know, even recently he said one of his purposes for continuing to play was to make sure that I didn't quit. And I, even though he never directly told me that until just now, this, this year, I always felt that support. And just knowing him leading by example of him being such an overachiever with pretty much everything he did, um, you know, inspired me to be, you know, Big West star after the year, just like he did. He was, um, you know, an All-American in water polo, just like he was. Just for the national team, just like he did. So I don't think I would have had those aspirations had I not seen him excelling and doing it so gracefully all, all those years. Can you describe what it was like to play in the Olympics back in 2004? Were you the focus as Simone Manuel spoke about being the first or one of the only black men playing water polo? Not, not nearly at that same level. One, it's a team. I think the biggest thing is it's a team sport. Um, and two, I don't know what the number two is. I think probably the biggest thing is just the fact that, it is a, that it's a team sport. Um, there just wasn't as much focus on any of the individual players. And if it was, it was most likely going to be our captain, one of the returning, um, the returning Olympians, who you actually know that um, Bruce Weigel and his son Wolf Weigel was our captain at the time, um, you know, lead, leading the team. So there wasn't as much focus on it. Um, you know, leading up, I remember my first year trip in, in Europe, you know, international big trip in Europe, and be walking on the pool deck. And within a minute of being on the pool deck, even before I got on the water, one of the head coaches from one of the other teams walking up to our coach as if I didn't even exist. And it wasn't even derogatory. It was just sheer, like, shock and amazement. He's, he's, he's black, almost, like, confused. Um, you know, as I got... You know, I had dreadlocks at the time, so I had people, you know, wanted me to sign this can that had Lennox Lewis on it. I uh, remember being in Italy, and people, I'd make a block, stop a goal, and people would start singing Bob Marley songs. So it wasn't anything derogatory. It was just, you know, it's almost amazement, I would say. And I never really took offense to it. Um, almost took it as a compliment, even later on. Um, playing, you know, Montenegro in 2009, and I was, you know, people in the stands yelling, Obama or Kobe, and, you know, it's the fact that there wasn't any other 
black water pole players for them to reference, let alone that many other black professional um, people that had ever been to their country that they're even familiar with was shocking to me, but at the same time, um, when I thought about it, there really was not much exposure. You know, we're, we're coming, you and I are both in Southern in California where we see a lot of diversity in the general population, but not so much in aquatics. So long story short, I was not necessarily the focus of, you know, being the first African-American with Omar on the team, um, first black athletes. It just was, you know, part, part of the team. But there are definitely things that were not always good that weren't necessarily intended to be bad. Um, you know, Omar also Muslim, so being stopped, you know, TSA and being taken away from our team and put in the secondary and missing flights and um, that type of stuff. And our coaches and teammates not really knowing how to support us properly, um, you know, going, being stopped on the way to practice and being held at gunpoint and being late for practice because we're black. Um, and not, you know, teammates wasn't any of their fault by any means, but not knowing how to be supportive and compassionate about how distraught we were at the time of just being harassed. Multiple, I mean, there's, there have been multiple times where I've been pulled over twice in the same day. And because water pole, you know, was a full-time commitment to me, most of those times I was on the way to or from a water pole practice or event. Um, again, it's outside the pool, but those things, those experiences stay with you and carry you into the pool as well. You recently mentioned an incident that you witnessed back in 2004 while you and your teammates were visiting the White House and then President of the United States, George W. Bush. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, please. Yeah, we were... Um, you know, after the Olympics, I think a majority of the um, Olympic delegation over the years have been invited to the White House, and we accepted the invitation and attended a, a reception, and Barbara Bush was there as well, and kind of making her way through all the Olympians and saying hi, hello, hellos, and greetings, and being very diplomatic, and the moment Omar, you know, approached her, getting closer, the same way other teammates of majority um, were, the, you know, the, I don't know if the Secret Service or guards or whoever they are with bigger guns that I've ever seen besides video games, um, you know, pushed them out of the way, basically knocking them down and ushered them off. And that was, again, like, it's funny that, you know, you and I talk about this. If someone hears it, like, oh, my gosh, that makes me so traumatizing. And I think the fact is it wasn't that one single event. It's just how frequently those things happen. You know, I was talking about experiences with law enforcement, you know, and those I can list over 50, you know, not, not 15, 50, five, zero. And that plays, a, I guess, makes you start to, start to second guess your, your right of being somewhere. Um, you know, I, I never speed, you know, going to practices, hurry up, no, I'm not taking that chance. Um, and I think in the pool, there's times when I, we definitely felt we were being held to a different standard, even if that standard, standard wasn't being um, advertised. You know, I'm I've, I've a very social person, and I like to you know, communicate and talk with people and laugh and have a good time, but I'm one of the hardest workers you'll ever meet. But I think it was perceived as me being not serious about the team at times. 
um, even though there's a, during an entire quad, four-year cycle, I didn't miss a single practice, um, including the times when we were filming at Belmont Plaza, the historic pool that was now being hopefully being renovated and replaced. But we filmed a film um, with uh, Quentin Tarantino and Lucy Liu, I think, were producing it called Freedom's Fury, reenacting the 1956 Melbourne Games where Soviet Union and Hungary was competing, and it was like the bloodiest match at the time. And after a couple of days of filming, they had to re retake all the cuts because they realized that Omani had to be cut out of the scene because there weren't any black people playing in the Olympics then. And some of our teammates, jokingly or not, were frustrated that they had to redo these scenes as if it was our fault for being black and, you know, being making making their cuts have to be redone. Um, so, for the most part, like I said, like I could have thousands and thousands and thousands of positive experiences, but the few ones that are negative stand out at times. Um, and I, I'm a positive person, so I always try to look past them and just stay focused on our goal, but you know, we're working towards at the times, but they stay with me for life. Um, there was times, you know, even training early on, um, an athlete that didn't make it, you know, calling me the N-word. Um, former, another former Olympian that said some other derogatory things to me and you know 20, 20 years later it, st it stays with me USA Swimming is in the midst of a come to Jesus moment wherein they are actively trying to be more diverse in their membership and while I commend them for trying how will change happen on the local state and regional levels if old attitudes that black folk are second rate continue I think it's got to be by the numbers, the masses, right? Like you, we have Ashley Johnson and, and Max Irving right now representing for a black aquatic community, specifically in water polo. And I think with with technology, you know, with social media, with you know, with webs and streaming, and those types of things, you know, being able to see these these amazing athletic figures, um, that's a lot more accessible. I think it's going to inspire an entire generation of young student athletes that are black that like, oh, water polo is an option for me because there's an Ashley, because there's a Max. And, you know, being able to see that, like I told you, I didn't even know what the sport was, let alone know there was other black water polo players until I was 15 years old. So starting at a younger age, of just being inspired and thinking that they can do it. And then from the public side of things is actually having accessible programs, right? People have to be able to feel comfortable and confident in the water. They have to learn how to swim. So having more public pools that are not pricing people out regardless of race or gender or anything else, just more accessibility to aquatic sports. And then once they're actually on the program in the team, making sure that the coaches are creating an inclusive environment and it can't just be enough to be like, oh, you know, we scholarship an athlete if you're doing things like that. I kind of made a comparison um, earlier this year about, you know, the, the differences even between males and females. How, you know, you or I might think it's amazing to go to a week weekend's women's retreat, but all of a sudden when none of the conversation really relates to us, even though no one's being rude or exclusive, it's, we might start to feel out of place. So I can only imagine, you know, what women felt like for for decades now, you know, getting into the workplace and having conversation that doesn't really pertain to them. Um, and then the same thing for kids, 
you know, I think yeah, I think you're going to interview Ashley Johnson as well. Some things that she experiences in her life that she just may may or may not ever feel that she shares with some of her teammates that are that are, don't have her same heritage and same backgrounds, right? No one's fault, but trying to figure out ways to really have the teams and the athletes at a young age be inclusive and put yourself in someone else's suit per se. <laughs> Janai, I know that you are still active in the sport, both on committees as well as coaching. How much further along would swimming and water polo in particular have been if kids such as yourself had more coaches that look like you? I, I think that having more representation at any level, right, whether it's teammates in the pool, whether it's coaches with even fans, you know, supporting you, um, it's going to help break a lot of stereotypes of people even why, why are they even here? What are they doing here? Remember you telling me you being at a swimmy just to watch as a spectator and being harassed and questioned. So having people that are, you know, authoritative position, um, I think would help tremendously. And I think the biggest thing is to help nurture people of color um, rather than judging them. So, we all have our own biases. And I think that, you know, whether it's, you know, someone, you know, seeing a scuffle that's starting, um, you know, on the street and needs a white person or a black person, I don't think people realize how deep our, our judgment goes. I think people, a lot of people just automatically assume that the black person started it. So that happens in the pool at times unintentionally, right? Like, I guess, you know, um, you know, you see an incident happening, especially in a contact sport like water polo, and I've seen coaches make assumptions that it was the person of color that was at fault automatically. Um, and it's, again, it's not the fault of aquatics. It's our society just over generations that have embedded these, these thought processes into, um, into kids and adults. So having coaches of color would help break that. I think they would help encourage um, and nurture up-and-coming athletes and make it a more diverse sport a lot faster. Finally, what gives you hope in this sport? I mean, at a time when our country is so deeply divided, do you see encouraging signs in water polo, a sport you love so much? I've always been a positive person, like I said. So I have to look for the, the silver lining and everything. And, you know, the loss of life with George Floyd's murder, the entire country has at least opened up discussions. Whether it's, I don't understand, people still making excuses, well, he might have done something, you don't know what he did. But for the most part, people are starting to at least talk about things. And it's a trickle-down effect from mainstream society to, to athletics, down to aquatics, and specifically you know, our sport of water polo and swimming, that... I think people will be a little bit more aware, a little aware of the disparities that happened in our country, and hopefully be progressive and more welcoming, um, you know, to people that look different or that look and act different, but aren't necessarily different. And we are going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking to Janai Kerr, a former member of the United States Men's National Water Polo Team for 12 years, who played in the 2004 Athens Olympics. 2003 and 2007 Pan American Gold Medal Games and multiple world championships. 
He is one of the only athletes in history to compete internationally as a goalie and as a field player. Most recently, he was named MVP at the 2012 U.S. Open after he helped Newport Water Polo Foundation win the national championship. Janai Kerr, we wish you and your family health and safety during these challenging times in our country. And thank you for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you. It was truly an honor. I hope that not only do black aquatic members um, hear your hear your podcast, but the majorities that will be able to inspire and support, you know, more diversity in our sports. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. Serena Williams reached the semifinals of the Australian Open this year. At the age of 39, she is still playing at the top of her game. Serena, regarded by many as the greatest tennis player of all time, has inspired young black girls to take up the sport of tennis. Her grace, humbleness, and ability to overcome racism within the sport have made her beloved by men and women the world over. Her next guest has made it her mission to model Serena. No, she's not a tennis player. She's a water polo player. Not only is she a player, she's on the U.S. national team. In fact, she's not only on the team, she's their goalkeeper who helped them win gold at the Rio Games in 2016. And if I can extend these accomplishments a bit further, she is regarded as the best goalie in the world. And her name is Ashley Johnson. Ashley, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Thanks, Najee. It's great to be here. Ashley, how did you get involved in swimming, and what led you to decide you wanted to try water polo? I got involved in swimming because um, I grew up in a family of five kids, and we grew up with a pool in our backyard, and my mom would leave home and go to work and just worry that we were going to drown every day. So she got us swim lessons, and from those swim lessons, it became an opportunity for us to like actually do something during the summers. And one of her best friends um, found this swim program that she put her daughter in. So we followed suit and that swim program had water polo, which we preferred infinitely over swimming. (laughs) Just felt more interesting and engaging and we could like all play with each other. So yeah, water polo stuck and it's just brought me and my family countless opportunities that we never could have anticipated from the start. I read somewhere that you really never took notice that you and your siblings were the only black kids in the pool. Not when you first learned to swim or when you went to high school in Florida. It was only when you joined the U.S. water polo development team and you were without family that you began to notice that you were different from the rest. Can you talk a little bit about this, please? Yeah, so I you read that in past interviews. Like when I was younger, I I phrased it as I didn't notice, but it was more like it didn't really matter because I had my brothers and sisters with me, and that was kind of like a perfect protection. Like we're five, so five out of how many was a significant number, and it just felt normal to be who I was and who we were in whatever space we were with our team, and just being a part of our team, it was fairly diverse. There were a lot of Hispanic, um, Asian, white uh, athletes as a part of the team that I grew up in. And as I got to high school, less so, but still, we were in spaces where I was always with the people I knew. 
And once I went to the national team, once I made the decision to try out for the national team, it was just, I was completely alone. And my race was a very relevant and important topic of discussion. Not only was I different in being black, but I was not from the West Coast, which is where water polo is most prevalent. And yeah, I just spoke a different terminology. It was like I came from another world and I had to adjust what to what being different meant. You've stated that you want to be a role model for young black girls in the sport. How important is representation in sport, in particular in aquatics? Yeah, I think representation in growing a sport and in providing the opportunities that a sport has to offer is one of the biggest things. If you can't see it, you will never believe that you can be it. So I didn't have many role models in um, water polo being a predominantly white sport, but I did have some very key role models when I was growing up who believed that I could do what I could do and be where I am right now before I even had the notion of understanding like what all that meant. And I know now looking back how much that representation and belief in me meant for me as a young girl and for me and my brothers and sisters as young people in this sport. And I want to do everything that I can to bring that back to bring that back to um, young boys and girls of color, young black boys, young brown boys and girls um, who want to try water polo or want to try swimming, but don't believe that they belong in a sport like this. And aquatics is particularly an interesting case because of the narrative surrounding black people in aquatics. Like there is literally a belief that black people can't swim. Like black people don't belong here. and as much as you hear and know that that's like a stereotype that's not like true in cases, that's not true broadly, you internalize that. And I got asked that a lot in interviews. I got asked that a lot by my peers. I got asked that a lot by parents of my peers. And um, especially when I went abroad, like someone who doesn't speak English is like in their broken English, like you're black, why are you swimming? And you hear that and that you, you internalize it. You're like, well, <laughs> let me tell you why you believe I shouldn't be swimming. <laughs> then I'll get to <laughs> how I got here. And it took a lot for me to understand the narrative of Black people in aquatics and understand the context for people's misunderstanding and for the beliefs about myself that I had internalized before I could take the responsibility to move forward and want to um, make an impact and change. And something that was a really cool realization for me as an athlete coming up in this sport is that one of the best things that I could do was just being me and like playing as hard as I could and working hard and doing all of these things, playing the sport that I love, like me just being here was enough to start changing the narrative and join the conversation of other black women and black men in aquatics who were changing the narrative about black people in aquatics. I mean, let's be honest, water polo is an expensive sport. Much like competitive swimming, diving, and artistic swimming, it's not cost-effective. For marginalized groups whose median incomes on average are far less than whites, what are ways that USA water polo can make the sport more accessible? Yeah, so I think that uh, one thing that USA Water Polo 
can do more of and has started doing is bringing water polo to these populations, bringing goals, bringing balls, bringing suits, bringing goggles to these populations and these areas where water polo hasn't reached and while where water polo has predominantly like thrived in these affluent areas that have access to high level coaching and all of these equipment and all of the like kind of resources that water polo demands bring that to the areas that don't have it and it seems like a really simple thing but i i don't think that the sport has a good pulse on where water polo isn't if that makes sense so understanding where the deficit is and bringing the resources of water polo there and then another thing is like you compare it to competitive swimming but one of the biggest barriers is learning to swim and getting past the narrative of black people don't belong here. So I think there's an educational piece where you start changing the story, you start spreading the word about the opportunities that aquatics can bring, the ability the like normalize black people in aquatic spaces, like bring that type of narrative to these um, spaces and just, yeah, start making it normal, start, spreading the resources there's so much opportunity in water polo there's so much good that can come of these little moves and if USA water polo is willing to put in the work and effort to connect these places to the opportunities that are in our sport I think that there's going to be a lot of like magic that will happen and there's going to be a lot more of me there's going to be a lot more of Simone Manuel there's going to be a lot more Max Irvings and Janai Kurz and that's really amazing USA Swimming recently formed a 22-member committee to address systemic racism in swimming. What is USA Water Polo doing to combat issues of racism and discrimination, both in the net and on the deck? One of the most recent efforts in USA Water Polo's efforts to um, access more diversity in our sport and uh, bring more equity is they formed an alliance for diversity and equity in water polo. And that alliance is formed of former and past players and coaches, current coaches, current uh, just supporters of water polo who recognize the need for change and want this change to happen and just want to address things that have happened in the past, bring to light the history of, access to um, opportunity in aquatics and just move forward with a plan to change things and bring these resources to people of color and just share the stories of people of color who have been in the sport and bring more awareness to the fact that it's not easy to be black in our sport. It's not easy to be brown in our sport. And the experience of being the only, only one is very isolating and it's just, it's time to change. It's time to meet the world where it is, and it's time to move forward. And there's just, I just, I'm really proud of the work that um, the Alliance is doing and so happy to be a part of it. But there's always more that we can be doing, and there's always more that we can be um, bringing forward in the minds of our uh, population, the the water polo population, but also bringing forward in the world's um, awareness of aquatics and access to opportunity in aquatics. 
Finally, the Tokyo Games are coming up, and the USA women's team has a large bullseye on your back. How do you feel about your chances for a repeat gold this summer? Yeah, the Tokyo Games are coming up. Woo! I'm excited. <laughs> and we're in heavy training right now. We're in um, full-time training. We haven't seen an opponent in a while, which is tough because we usually in this time get to build up, like prepare for different people, kind of execute plans at different times and see how they work. So we've just been on our own, training hard, testing four times a week, lifting really hard. So it's going to be really – I'm – very very optimistic i'm very positive i'm looking forward to getting to see an opponent but from what i've been able to see in practice we're looking good and we're feeling really good so we're excited we're very very excited we've been speaking to ashley johnson goalkeeper of the u.s women's water polo team she guided the team to the gold medal in 2016 at the rio olympics and gold at worlds in 2019 she will be competing for a second consecutive goal with Team USA this coming summer at the Tokyo Olympics. Ashley Johnson, we wish you and your teammates the best of luck in Tokyo, health and safety, and thank you for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you so much, Naji. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines. Signing off.